Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast. This is David Law alongside Catherine Whitaker. The morning after the Davis Cup final, the crowning of Switzerland as champions, and one of the missing pieces of the CV of Roger Federer is now in place. Catherine Whitaker, we have no music to background our conversation today, but uh, yeah, I can always give you a, a little song if you like. And I know you've been listening to a bit of Wham on the way in on the tube, haven't you? No, David, that that would be you that listen, listens to all the wham, as it turns out. In the in the uh, lift on the way up to record this podcast, I heard David Law utter the words, blooming love wham, which uh, I, n- I never thought I'd hear, especially, you know, 30 years after the 80s. Well, you know, that was my era, wasn't it? I, I loved a bit of wham, absolutely. In the same uh, lift road, uh, listeners, incidentally, I found out that Catherine was into the Spice Girls when she was young. And uh, which one was, which one were you? Baby Spice, but I—I I, I mean, I—I I was, you know, everyone my age was. I would have been uncool if I wasn't into the Spice Girls. It was—it was an obligation. Don't judge me. Right. Okay. Well, I know you've uh, tuned in trying to listen to tennis conversation, so I don't quite know where we've got to with this. Uh, before we get cracking on the Davis Cup final, which ended with victory for Switzerland in exactly the scoreline as Catherine Whitaker told me about ten minutes ago, that she had predicted in the last edition of the tennis podcast. I. Uh, what, have you got something to say? Just that I also predicted Roger Federer tears, didn't I? And they, they happened. I mean, I, I basically predicted every move that happened over the weekend, if if you like. It's one way of putting it. It's getting annoying, this, isn't it? Um, uh, actually, if you really want to go the full hog, you, I don't think you've really got the best out of the fact that Roger Federer faced Novak Djokovic in the final at the O2 as well, which you also said would happen, albeit you didn't start talking about any injuries, did you? No, I mean I'm I'm not I'm not a psychic. I'm just I'm just uh I'm just obviously but I'm in, I'm improving with my predictions which is which is nice. About time after two and a half years. Uh now the uh the location for this tennis podcast listeners is the the Holiday Inn in Stratford uh in uh, south in uh, in East London and this is the official hotel where the uh, competitors for the NEC Wheelchair Tennis Masters are taking place this week at the Lee Valley Hockey and Tennis Centre. I've seen some of the competitors around today. And if you would like to go and watch the uh, the NEC Wheelchair Tennis Masters, you can do so. £10 for adults, children going in free, uh, www dot wheelchair tennis masters dot com Andy Lapthorne uh, Jordan Wiley uh, Gordon Reed all taking part in that and we've uh, had the 
pleasure of commentating with Andy Lapthorne at uh, the O2 Arena for Five Life Sports Extra a couple of weeks ago. He was telling me about uh, about the tournament and it sounds like it will be a, a cracking day of entertainment. So if you have a bit of time free, go and see that. Now, Catherine, the Davis Cup final um, finished with victory for Switzerland. But it was a bit tasty, wasn't it? The last week or so, all the uh, all the conversation about Stan and Roger, they, they weren't best pleased with all the media interest although I don't think it's particularly surprising, is it, with what went on. But uh, as they predicted, they got themselves together and won the Davis Cup. Yeah, they pulled it together when it really mattered, didn't they? It was, yeah, it was a hell of a week, um, story-wise. You couldn't, you couldn't have had much of a tastier build-up. I mean, in, intra-team... In, intra a uh, dispute isn't necessarily what you expect in the lead up to a Davis Cup final um and the uh the pre-event press conference that the Swiss team did where you had Federer and, and Vavrinka sat there s- separated by Severin Luti uh was was quite something wasn't it and that was the day following an interview that Cedric Murray the umpire in their match at the O2 had given in which he rather stoked the fires of uh, of what had gone on so they were faced with questions off the back of, of off the back of what Murray said which i'm sure they found slightly unhelpful um i mean yeah they they silenced it all this weekend but in the lead up it was um it was gripping stuff wasn't it it, w- it was uh and yet in the grand scheme of things it was all relatively minor wasn't it really? I mean, I mean, it was. It's kind of unheard of, though, in this era. That's what makes it so surprising. And I suppose because it was the wife of one of the players who is alleged to have been involved, and and so forth, that adds an extra element to it, doesn't it? But you know, I was reading a piece by Simon Briggs of the Telegraph the other day, referencing back to the the Connors era and 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 the days when, yeah, frankly, that would have been small fry. That's it, isn't it? In the in the Connors, Lendl, McEnroe, they were sledging every time they crossed paths at the net. I mean, some really colourful language would have been absolutely par for the course. Let alone, I've no, I, I hate, I dread to think what they said about one another's uh, friends and family and coaches and whatever. So yeah, but then this is, you know, this era as incredible as it has been, magical on the court. It has been accused of being quite a sanitised era in terms of off the court, what what they say. So I guess when you do get something juicy, the media lap it up. And do you buy that? Do you, does it matter to you as a spectator? If you think back over the years of watching tennis, do you yearn for a bit of aggro, a bit of attitude, a bit of discord amongst the players? Because it is all a bit cosy, isn't it? But at the same time, we also talk about this era as being the greatest ever or one of the greatest ever with Federer, Nadal, Djokovic, Murray. Do you yearn for Connors, McEnroe, Borg? I know it's, it was before your time to be able to have watched it live. I remember watching it live and remember the discomfort that I would feel watching McEnroe. I mean, who I've, I've had the pleasure of getting to know and work alongside over the, over the last 15 years. But as a kid growing up and watching him at his height you would feel uncomfortable watching him play, but you couldn't turn it off. I think sometimes I do. Sometimes. I mean, when I look at Roger Federer and I think he pulls off that slightly more sanitised, you know, not giving anything away because he's just so classy with it. You wouldn't want him to sort of denigrate himself with any, you know, with any um, 
misspeaking or I don't know, but it, it sometimes I do, I think, but the margins are so tiny and everybody is so maxed out at the top of the game. It requires everything these guys have to be at the top of the game. You can't give anything away to your opponent. You can't just saying one, just admitting to any kind of weakness or any kind of anxiety going into match. Any kind, it's all the locker room aura, isn't it? It's all giving a fraction of a percent to your opponent, which you can't afford to do. You look at Murray on the court, and when he when he does show expression, which he does, he doesn't always do it in the most graceful way. But when he does express himself, you as a Murray fan, you're frustrated with him because he's giving something away to his opponent he's showing his opponent that he's frustrated um or that he's annoyed with something or that he's not happy with the way he's playing and you you've seen in matches how that can turn things you know that plus I think you in order for a player to create a bit of controversy by having a go by getting involved by going head to head with a player I think you've got to have incredibly thick skin. You've got to be Lendl. You've got to be Connors and, frankly, not care what people are saying about you. And I've seen this with with Djokovic, who has uh, a few of our colleagues have lamented the fact that he comes into press conferences now and he doesn't he he speaks a lot, but he doesn't say a lot. He certainly doesn't rise to any bait. He won't get involved in anything that can can create controversy because he he I think. Frankly, he's just thought it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. He he did that early on in his career. He had the running with Andy Roddick, of course, got booed off the court at the Flushing Meadows, and it cost him for a while. It really cost him in terms of the public public's affection. And I don't think he enjoyed being the bad guy particularly. Um, Andy Murray's had it. He seems to have it quite a lot. If he if he just gets misunderstood with a line of humour, I even saw it last night after the Davis Cup victory. He, uh, for Roger Federer, he tweeted, uh, what a difference a couple of days makes. Now, what he meant was, and he had to subsequently say this, what I meant was a couple of days since he got beaten by Monfils. He was terrible then. He was brilliant against Gasquet. But a lot of accusations came flying in say, saying that Murray was doubting whether Federer was really injured and so forth. And I suppose that is the problem. You've... You've either got to stay away from it altogether, uh, any, I mean, not that he was trying to be controversial in any way there, or you've just got to not care about the response. Yeah, I think those are two two very key points. Djokovic, what you say about the thick skin, Djokovic I think is a very um, interesting example of, of that because he does care what people think. He wants to be liked and I do think he has a little bit of a, not a complex, but I think he thinks he can't quite understand why he doesn't have the same status in terms of fan adoration as Federer and Nadal. You could very easily argue that on the court he's earned that. And I think you saw it a little bit in his match against Nishikori at the O2, where, I mean, it had been a terrible week for matches at the O2. Nishikori showed a glimpse that he might be able to get into the match and the crowd were on it. The crowd went straight for cheering for Nishikori because they wanted a match. And Djokovic responded not very well to it, not very gracefully and he he took it um very sensitively as people really negatively cheering against him and that wasn't how it was meant at all but well not by the mass but I think there were one or two who were shouting out probably to try to disrupt him as well were there not 
Possibly, but it's a tennis match. It's a sporting match. Tensions were running high. People, you know, there's always going to be that. The, that's exactly the point I'm making. McEnroe wouldn't have cared. Connors wouldn't have cared if there were a few that particularly... You'd have given them some back at the time, wouldn't they? They'd have said, come on then, come down here and have a word with me face to face. Exactly. You might understand it. Us mere mortals might have that reaction. But in order to be that sort of player that uh, you do have to have a thick skin and you have to not care that you're going to get some people's backs up and you're not going to be everyone's favourite person you know McEnroe might be everyone's favourite commentator now and we might look back really fondly on him as a tennis player and and glorify it and say what a wonderful era it was but at the time he completely divided opinion and probably more people were anti-McEnroe and thought he was, you know, a super brat and disgraced himself on the court than, than were a fan of his. That's why it was quite funny if somebody said something that McEnroe took a, uh, aversion to and he'd be on the court and he would turn to the entire stand and shout at them collectively and basically challenge them there and then. That's one of the reasons why I quite like Ernest Gulbis. Unfortunately, his consistency of results is not there to match his thick skin. But he doesn't care, does he? He's quite happy to say whatever he thinks. And if people don't like it, tough. Yeah, that's true. I don't always agree with everything Ernest, Ernest Gulbis says. He doesn't care. But he doesn't care, that's the thing. I never feel like he's saying it for effect just to be controversial, which is key. And he's criticised the top players for not saying anything interesting enough. And it does bother me sometimes that uh, guys go into press conferences and they're trying to put on some kind of personality. I don't feel like Gulbis is ever doing that. He is just saying what he thinks and he does not care what the response is, which is to be admired. But he has the thick skin necessary to go with that attitude and, and not not many of them do. That was a masterstroke by Switzerland to put Stan Wawrinka and Roger Federer together in the doubles, wasn't it? Because when Federer got a, a pretty major hiding from Monfils, I feared the worst. I, I mean, it was a brilliant performance from Monfils and I think he deserves full credit for that. But Federer looked a little bit creaky in that match. I'm not even, I'm not even sure Federer fully fit would have completely coped with the way Monfils was playing but to then chuck them back out there and think to themselves look if we can get one more point on the board I reckon we can get one out of the two singles it was a, it was a clever ploy that a clever ploy absolutely the right ploy and uh it's paid off they've got the doubles the the Brian's uh doubles coach on board the Swiss team and I guess he was instrumental in that that decision David McPherson wasn't it McPherson that's the guy um and uh, so many of these tight Davis Cup ties swivel on the fate of the doubles so you can't and and going into the final day knowing you have to win both your singles matches even if you have Federer and Vavrinka on that court in France in the a world record predominantly French crowd I I think it was more important for the Swiss to win that doubles than it was for the French and they realized that and they put their their number one team out there and it was absolutely the right call we've got four questions that we've asked our listeners on Twitter at tennis podcast loads of responses which we'll go through shortly but one of the questions that was coming our way and and I read it a, a few times was why on earth didn't France pick Gilles Simon a man who has beaten Federer, who is just a difficult customer and just nags away, whereas you have that slightly more mercurial talent of Songa and Gasquet, who who are both probably more destructive players than Simon, but maybe less reliable. 
I don't think many people were thinking that before the match, though. I was thinking Gasquet. I mean, Gasquet's beaten Federer before. I, I wasn't thinking that's not a bad shout. It was just during the match, I did start to think Federer is enjoying how cleanly he's getting. I mean, Gasquet hits a beautiful clean ball like Federer does. The, I mean, the talent, the sheer natural ability and the timing that was on display in the final yesterday on a court, which was, you could see the amount of movement of the ball in the air. I mean, the bounce was, it was up, rearing up around their heads half the time. I mean, to to deal with that in the way they did with just sheer ability was quite extraordinary. And at times... It's just like watching us play, wasn't it? When we get out there on the Royal Albert Hall court for the challenge match. Speak for yourself, Dave. I'm worried that your your expectations are slightly too high. Um, yeah, and I, 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 I thought... You know, maybe what Federer needs here is someone to give him a bit of junk, some slices on the board, some weird looks, you know, uh, some, I don't know, some Dolgopolov-type play, you know, someone that's not hitting a beautifully clean ball back at him because he was enjoying that. It was sort of, it was exactly the tennis Federer wanted to play. It was sort of purifying the the surroundings and the conditions, the court, the atmosphere, everything else. So as the match wore on, I did start to think maybe a Simon would would be better suited but you you don't and nobody knew Federer would be playing as majestically as that did they come on well I absolutely knew they should have gone for Simon in hindsight um but no I mean it's a it's a tough one isn't it who'd be on a Clement who had victories over Roger Federer himself during the early days you know I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest here and and I don't want to sound like I'm too clever for my own good back then but in 2001 at the Australian Open Roger Federer played against Arno Clement and lost in straight sets to Clement. And I remember uh, it was during my days at the the ATP, uh, and, and I remember calling around a bunch of the journos to have a chat chat with them about tennis and goodness knows what. And I was telling everybody who listened, "You watch this guy, Roger Federer. He's gonna be he's gonna be a star. This guy." Now again. After the event, yeah, <laughs> really, <laughs> 17 Grand Slams. Now you're saying it, are you? But I remember saying this to people, and then he just threw in this dog of a performance against Arno Clement, who just cleverly beat him. And genuinely, genuinely, I and everybody else, I think, who who were continually tipping this guy, because, I mean, it was obvious. You hardly had to be the brain of Britain to, to be predicting this guy could be something special. But we were really wondering, is it actually going to happen for this guy? It went on for three years where he was just not producing the performances to match his talent. I mean, it's it's a joy to to behold what he's become and nobody could have predicted the level of success he's had. But it was a question mark back then. And Arno Clement, the captain of the opposing team, was the man who was one of the problems for him back then. Well, it was a question mark right up until, he, you know, he lost to Lewis Horner in the first round of the French Open the Grand Slam before that was four weeks before he went on to win his first Grand Slam at Wimbledon and that was two and a half years after the the match against Clement that I'm referencing so you can see how long this was gonna this was taking and people were constantly or or often predicting this is the guy and often being made to look stupid that rings a few bells at the moment doesn't it with a a certain Bulgarian player Have have we given up on him yet well, you, you, you've just told a, a parable about how you should never give up on uh, on outrageous talent. So, uh, so no, we're not giving up on him just yet. Is he going to reach a? Uh, he's going to reach a final this next year. We've predicted, haven't we? A Grand Slam final in 2015. Grigor Dimitrov's his name. Yeah, 
He blooming well should reach a Grand Slam final in 2015. Gregor, if you're listening, pull your socks up because we keep putting our necks on the line. I think he's going to do it. Absolutely. I think I think not qualifying for the O2 will have given him a chance to have a proper off-season. Roger Rashid's going to drive him into the dirt and make him even better. Now, uh, a few questions that we've asked and you've answered and thrown in your opinions. So let's find out what Catherine thinks first. The first question was, is that the greatest of all time now sealed for Roger Federer? Not only does he have 17 Grand Slams, not only has he won the, cal- the, the, the career Grand Slam, all four Slam titles, and been world number one for longer than anybody else in the history of the game, he's now added Davis Cup glory. He's already won an Olympic gold alongside Stan Wawrinka. Is that it now? Is he the greatest of all time? Well, for me, it was it before, before Saturday, before Sunday. Um he is the greatest of all time. He was before the Davis Cup final. There will always be detractors or people that that question that and put question marks against it. I think winning the Davis Cup will silence a few of those. There'll still be those that say, but he has a losing record against the other great player of his generation. How can you be the greatest of all time if somebody, the other, uh, one of the other contenders you had a, a staggeringly losing record against you know he hasn't got a uh, Olympic gold those those are the two other question marks for me they're not nearly big enough to uh, to tarnish his claim to greatest of all time and so there were three question marks there are now two and for me they're very very small ones well too many secrets at too many secrets argues with that view one word Rafa, can't be the greatest of all time while losing to your biggest rival in three of the four major finals and many more. Rayblen Bundell says the elephant in the room is still the Nadal head-to-head. Federer, however, is technically the best tennis player of all time. Chrissy J. Smith says, yes, no one else has achieved as much and been as consistent over time as he have. At Briggy PJ says, the greatest of all time? No. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. 
Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Laver anyone? Head-to-head with Nadal? Can't be the greatest if you're dominated in your own era. Chris M325 says head-to-head's a moot point for me. It's about who who achieves the most. For for me, Nadal is more or less a byproduct of Federer. That's a bit harsh, isn't it? I I think that's a very strong way of putting it, but I understand the point that Nadal wouldn't be the player he is without Federer, and the reverse the the reverse is probably true as well. I think byproduct is doing Rafa a huge disservice, but I understand I understand the general point. I mean, I think. Head to head, it's a really difficult. I'm not dismissing that point altogether, but you know, there are plenty. You know, players have boogie players, don't they? I mean, Marit Safin had the, a terrible head to head against Fabrice Santoro, and I was magical a tennis player as Fabrice Santoro is and was. Marit Safin was, was the better tennis player, he just couldn't couldn't beat Fabrice Santoro. Now, that's you know, it's not the same as I understand Freda and Rafa have been toe-to-toe is the two greatest players of this generation. But it's, his boogie player happens to be Rafa Nadal. I don't think that having a player that just has the better of you means that they're a better tennis player than you. Who's your boogie player? Just everyone I play. <laughs> just Definitely your brother. Yeah, but he's six foot five and three years older than me and he had coaching from the age of three. Well, I'm six foot seven and about 15 years older than you, so I'm definitely going to win. Well, yeah, on paper it doesn't look good for me. (laughs) Those are the facts. I think there needs to be some kind of handicap. Do you know mine is is, uh, Richard Evans, the the British broadcaster and uh, and writer. Uh, Let's just say he's, he's older than me. Let's just say that. We won't say how much. He's definitely older than me, and he really shouldn't, on paper, be beating me. I've beaten him once in about ten. Okay. Uh, now, what next for Stan Vavrinka is our next question. Uh, at Briggy PJ says, Stan in 15 and beyond, he has another slam in him. Maybe he wins Roland Garros before Djokovic. Might do. It's not impossible, is it? I I agree. He has another slam in him. He's he's sudden. He looks like a champion now to me. He looks like he belongs. And with some of the top four, not falling away, but you know Murray. Who knows what Murray's season is going to look like next year? Same same for Rafa. Um, Djokovic is yet to win the French Open. But yeah, I yeah I could see it. But you know, I think with Stan, one of the big biggest question marks will be. When he goes into the off-season now, can he get that ravenous appetite for success and achievement that he had a year ago, before he'd won a Grand Slam title, before he'd won Davis Cup? He's a, he, he has to be the most normal-looking of all the top players to me. Likes to go out for a beer, likes to do normal things, uh, loves playing tennis and achieving, but I never feel as though he's the machine that some of the others are. And I wonder whether he'll be able to go into that off-season training with Magnus Norman, find that reason, find that little extra in order to just train to the level he would need to in order to to compete with these guys and and win another slam. 
May I mean, maybe the incentive is he knows how it feels. He knows how great it feels to win a Grand Slam title, title and that's incentive enough to, to want more of it. But equally, it just completely depends what kind of character it is. Maybe just the serenity of being a Grand Slam champion is enough for him. Maybe he will sleep soundly at night for the rest of his life because he will always be a Grand Slam champion. And it it's now a law of diminishing returns in terms of if the the effort he would have to put in to win another one wouldn't be worth in his mind, given the character he, he may or may not be, worth the return of winning a second a second Grand Slam title. We don't know yet, I don't think. No, because he hasn't experienced an off-season as a Grand Slam champion yet. I, I personally think he's going to find something. He'll find a reason. He'll look at those top players and he'll think, well, look, I'm already in that mix now. I can beat them all. I've beaten a lot. And I also think he's got that naturally defiant personality. You see it on the court. If somebody challenges him, he almost looks like he wants to hurdle a net and say, come on then, <laughs> let's have it out right now. And uh, and I hope that Magnus Norman can get his his head right. And, and, and I think he will. I mean, I think Stan's, I think he's a cracking player. He's one of my favourite players to watch. I th- I think most people will find that. I mean, the the glory of the of the one-handed backhand is something to behold. I mean, the whole weekend of... Of Federer, of, uh, of Federer Cup, Davis Cup. Let's rename it the Federer Cup. The whole weekend of Davis Cup tennis, minus Songa, was a uh, it was a gratuitous display of of backhand talent, wasn't it? Of one handed, it was something I could only dream of hitting a single backhand. Well, you'll be seeing it down the other end of the court in a couple <laughs> of weeks' time when you play me. Gordon Dunn says that Stan Wawrinka should retire and become his backhand coach. Um. <laughs> Right. I mean, what what do you pay, Gordon? I mean, well, you know, it's all it's balls back in your court now, Gordon. How much you're willing to pay? Hot shot tot seventy four says, Stan Wawrinka needs to go get some consistency. Himo Nishikori looked good bets for a slam in twenty fifteen though. Emerald two twenty nine says he could, he'll win Roland Garros. He's more than capable if he plays his best. And finally, uh, we have. Zatork, who says he needs to take a well-deserved holiday. I think we'll all agree with that. Yeah, but that's not the uh, the punishing off-season. <laughs> you can have a holiday <laughs> first, can't you? You can have a holiday first. How long a holiday is it? Like? So off-season now is so, okay, he's had from, what, he's got a month? A couple of weeks, a couple of weeks is enough. So Go to the Maldives, a couple of weeks, lovely. So two weeks' worth of training in the off-season is enough, is it? I mean, is that what you're just describing? Is that the conundrum he's going to have? I really need a holiday but I also need four weeks to get myself ready for 2015 if I'm going to be a Grand Slam contender. Maybe that's the very dilemma he's experiencing right now. On one hand, he's got a ticket to the Maldives. On the other hand, he's got a ticket to running up and down some mountains with bricks on his back. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Uh, Now, the third question we asked, what are you most looking forward to in 2015? Oh, crikey. I mean, just the whole of 2015. I'm looking forward to Federer winning another Grand Slam title. Oh, it's definitely going to happen then, is it? It's got, it's got to happen. Yeah, I think it will happen. Mine is very general. I'm simply loving the fact that generations are overlapping. This happened about 15 years ago when Federer arrived, uh, when Leighton Hewitt was already becoming established. Eventually, Rafael Nadal came along and Andre Agassi was still hanging around. 
okay, we didn't get the Sampras-Nadal overlap, but we certainly had the Sampras-Federer overlap. And I feel as though we're getting that again now. We've still got Federer, Djokovic, Nadal at the top of the game. Really at the top, not, not fading forces. We've still got Andy Murray digging away, trying to win more Grand Slam titles. We've got players that have been around for a while that, that have suddenly found the solutions, like Marin Cilic and Stan Wawrinka. We've got the great talent of Dimitrov and we wonder whether that will realize itself to the potential we believe he has and you've got the kids the kids are coming Kyrgios Kozlov what's that other fella's name Kozlov, from Germany Zverev Zverev oh yeah and Bonacharich oh dear I can't wait and look at the women's game Anna Konya, the young player. Uh, we've got uh, Belinda Bencic, who's come along. Serena Williams is into her mid-30s, and she's still at the very top of the game. Caroline Wozniacki's found a new lease of life. This is a great time for tennis right here. You're right, and on the sidelines, you've got the generation before them, or the two generations before them, in the uh, in the coaching seat as well. It, I agree, it's... Mouth-watering stuff, isn't it? And in the media, we just continue to age. And yet, still, all, all, all everyone wants to write about is uh, Mirka Federer and her whether or whether or not she uh, uh, committed an indiscretion on the side of the court again. You know, there's and call Stan Wawrinka a crybaby. Come on, though, it was interesting, though, wasn't it? It's all that playground stuff. Oh, come on, it was fun, though, wasn't it? It was fun. It was fun. But all I'm saying is there's going to be plenty on the court to write about. There is. What do you lot think? Emerald229 says, I'm looking forward to Victoria Azarenka being fit. Her rivalry with Serena Williams is the best before she got injured. Catherine's doing a sort of, "Mm, not sure, look about her. What do you think? It was the best, but it was still, still... Not a con- entirely equal rivalry, wasn't it? And, and it'd be good to have a bat, though, won't it? It'd be good to have a bat, but her injury problems have been. I think it's going to be a tough road back. She had more or less a whole season blighted by, blighted almost completely by injury. It's it's a long road back. At Grand Slam Sofa says, I want to see a slam for Halep, Simona Halep. I know what you mean there. And uh, Catherine's punching the air. I'd love to see a slam for Simona Halep. I think she's a joy. And fantastic for the game. Left the building is uh, one of the Twitter followers we have at Left the Building. <laughs> Honestly, that's a genuine Twitter handle. I want to see Laura Robson beat Jeannie Bouchard. Well, a fully fit Laura Robson would be a start. Cheesy Badgers says that it wants to see Delpo's return, misses him. Tatuzzi says, enjoying all level. Oh, this is my favourite one of the day. I want to see people of all levels from my sons under 12s through to the gritty challengers and my first visit to Rome in May because I love tennis. Well, you, you've pointed the microphone at me as if I can add something to that. I'm not you're, sure well, I you're a genuine tennis fan as well, Catherine. You're, you feel exactly yeah, the same. I have no, nothing to add. It's no, beautifully no. Beautifully put. Yes, beautifully put. Uh, at my... Oh, I don't even know how to say your Twitter handle, but I'm going to read out your tweet, which is, I want to see Del Potro back, and if Nishikori can win a title and become a star, which I suspect he will, I'd like to see that too. Ray Blundell would like to see Nick Kyrgios take down a top seed at the Australian Open in the first or second round. That is not impossible. Yeah, I think people will watch eagerly when the draw comes out to see where his name falls, very much so. Yeah, most people will be thinking, please be up the other end of the draw. Uh, at Johan Mersman says, the Brit offensive is what I'm looking forward to. Andy winning big, Heather Watson and Robbo climbing high, Wardy, Brody, Goldie giving the captain 
Well, he said, and he, he said earache. I think he means a headache. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, yeah, I, I know what you. Know, I know what you mean. <laughs> Brilliant. At Mithy Tennis says, <laughs> all the injured players returning to the tour well rested. Yes, I think we can all agree with that. At ET Froggy says, the upgraded status of Queens and Haller to ATP 500 events. I haven't planted that, by the way, as the media director at Queens. But uh, no, I mean, it's it's true, isn't it? They, they're going to have extra points and prize money on. I think big a big element will be the, ax, the extra week in between the French Open and the grass court season. Uh, the major parts of it anyway. Because you're at least going to have whoever does really well at the French Open has not got to think, oh, I've got nothing left in the tank. I need a week off. They, they'll be able to have a week off no matter what and then start properly at Queen's. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or Halle. <laughs> but preferably Queen's, yeah. I think, I, yeah, I think, uh, because if you, generally speaking, the big players don't play the week immediately before a slam. So if you want to be playing a grass court warm-up tournament... You've got to be starting the day after Roland Garros finishes, which is, I mean, it's unreasonable really to expect that the grass the grass court season has deserved this for many years. It deserves this breathing room. This it it will stand on its own two feet. It will be, albeit a short season, but it will be a grass court season, and uh, the tour deserves that. At Gambling Greek, finally says I look forward to you tweeting that Andy Murray will win a calendar slam after looking good in round one at the Australian Open. Teehee. What are you saying, gambling Greek? Is he saying teehee? Is is that mockery of Andy Murray and how thoroughly unlikely it is that he'll win a grand slam or mockery of our terrible predictions? Or possibly both. I think it's mockery of our complete bias and belief in Andy Murray to the extent that we think one swallow makes a summer and one victory in a first round match win at the Australian Open will automatically result in the calendar year slam it's not very nice is it well any one of us predicted that he'd beat Roger Federer at the O2 I don't know who that was uh, now uh, the fourth question we asked is will Novak Djokovic the dominant player in the world at the moment who finished number one uh, will he win the calendar year grand slam in 2015 I don't think it's impossible I don't think it's impossible. Given Now, I know the competition is extraordinary. I know that. He's up against a huge amount of players. But individually, he's capable of winning every one of those tournaments. Now, that means can he string it all together? I just feel that now that he's got over the, the get-to-know-you period with Boris Becker, they've got the Wimbledon title in the bag. They've ended the year really well. If he wins the Australian Open, which until last year he'd been doing regularly... It's not impossible. He, you know, he only needs one Nadal slip-up, and he's the most likely player to step in. Is he not at the French Open? Yep, I, it's not impossible. I just don't think he will. That's Catherine Whitaker. Uh, Tuborn says, uh, "I did in the past believe that Djokovic could win a calendar slam, but I don't think he can do it. He goes up and down during the year." Shaggy Alonso, eighty-six, says, "If Rafa comes back strong, it's extremely unlikely. Certainly, is possible though." Uh, Reynold Akuma says, "Djokovic has won just one major in each of the last three years and always ends the year strong." Stop getting excited. All right, Reynolds. Uh, he hasn't got a clue against Nadal over five sets at French Open either. Oh, well, he pushed him pretty close a couple of times, didn't he? Patently untrue. He's definitely had a clue. He just hasn't been able to win the last point. Oh, OK. Uh, Dr. Dr. Swan says, career slam for Djokovic? Maybe. 
calendar slam totally out of the question. Uh, and probably what the most uh, salient point of the last, FT Clamp says, if Djokovic wins the calendar year slam, then your other question about Roger Federer being the greatest of all time, of which he is a dead cert at the moment, is in jeopardy. That's such an enormous if. I mean, anyone, if anybody wins the Calendio Grand Slam, then Federer's title is in jeopardy. because that's But it is true, isn't it? You know, we, we talk about how does Djokovic get to the point where he is given proper credit, the credit he deserves, because if he were having this career in any other era, pretty much, I mean, he's won as many Grand Slam titles as Mats Valander and John McEnroe already, and he's still active. He's going to probably surpass them and Ivan Lendl eventually and, and Jimmy Connors. So what would he need to do to start being given credit equal to that of Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer? He's unlikely to win another 10 Grand Slams and be up there with Federer, but he might do four in one year. And then what? Well, yeah, I suppose that's probably the biggest single single achievement, or it's not a single achievement, but the, the the biggest thing he could have against his name which could challenge for that title. But that's such an enormous if. I mean, if we were three slams into the year and on the eve of the US Open and, and Djokovic had won one in Australia, Paris and Wimbledon, then let's have the conversation. But at the moment, it's so hypothetical. Um, I think it's, you know, as we said, not impossible, but so hypothetical. Final question. Uh, quite an interesting one here. Uh, Jan Rayman161 says, Fed and Vavrinka versus the Bryan brothers. Who wins? Oh, crikey. Uh, oh, um, that's very, I mean, that. The question makes a very interesting point about doubles, doesn't it? Because at the at the moment you don't have, generally speaking, in apart from certain exceptions, basically the Olympics and Davis Cup, you you don't have the top single players playing doubles in the way that you did in the seventies. And I suppose if if Federer and Vavrinka played regularly, you'd have to say they would be the favourites. Exactly. I think if they were a well-oiled doubles team on the tour. They are, no offence to the Bryans, who are sensational, they're better players. So if they sort of acquired the doubles skill and sort of acumen of experience, then they would be the better team. But at the moment, because the top, top players don't play doubles, what counts on the doubles court is not only ability, but being an extremely well-oiled partnership. They always used to say John McEnroe and anyone, didn't they, when uh, when it came to doubles partnerships? And uh, well, John McEnroe, he uh, he's not um, he's not playing these days on the regular tour, but he is playing at the Statoil Masters Tennis at the Royal Albert Hall, isn't he, Catherine Whittaker? In just over a week's time, another beautiful link. Wow, I'm being schooled in uh, in these. Uh, I'm not even deliberately setting you up for this. Stuff. No, it's, it's good, isn't that? I'm that I'm that good. It's rolling off the tongue. It's just a week away, isn't it? It's just a week away and uh, can't wait. I know. StatorMastersTennis.com uh, if you'd like tickets to watch John McEnroe play and Andy Roddick and Tim Hemman and uh, and lots of the other greats of the game. And then on finals day, we have the Milan 
World Team Tennis Smash Hits charity event with two teams captained by Elton John, Team Elton, uh, and Team Billy Jean King. And in those teams, we have players like Kim Kleister, Sabina Lizicki, Martina Hingis, Andy Roddick and McEnroe, as we've mentioned, Tim Henman. It's going to be a bit of fun, that one, isn't it? Yeah, I love the fact that we've got all these... Um New play- We've got a few new players in the main field, Fernando Gonzalez, Andy Roddick, um, but also all these new players coming to play for the charity match on Sunday because I love seeing people see the Albert Hall, g- g- clap eyes on the Albert Hall court for the first time because it really is something magical seeing that and I love the experience of, of, of watching a player. I remember when Fabrice Santoro came off court after his first ever match um, at the O2 and his eyes uh, not the O2 at the Albert Hall and his eyes were sparkling and I just said how was it Fabrice and he said c'était magique um, which obviously means this it was magical in French and uh, yeah you see that wide-eyed wonder in, in people's eyes when, when they see that court for the first time it's breathtaking and people Catherine may be thinking this is it for the tennis podcast for 2014 it's not oh. it's not we're going to be delivering daily tennis podcasts from the Statoil Masters Tennis Player Lounge aren't we yeah, demand has been such that we've got no choice but to... Demand from us. And, yeah, us and our immediate family. Uh, yeah, we've got no choice but to deliver what the fans want. And uh, a daily podcast seems to be it. Indeed it is. And we'll have, hopefully, a special guest every single day alongside Catherine and myself. And we hope to speak to you soon, just over a week from now. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 